Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Everybody, you're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine, where we talk about all things cyber to help businesses not only protect the revenue, but hopefully safely generate revenue as well. And that means uh, looking at people, process, technology, and doing things slightly differently than maybe we did them yesterday. And uh, I'm thrilled today to have a guest on. We've had on before, Mr. John Chambers. It's good to have you on the show again. Sean, it's a pleasure to be with you. You wanted me to say a couple words about background. Uh, as a part of your viewers will know, I was chairman and CEO of Cisco and, and leadership there for almost 25 years and acquired 180 companies. And we normally led as the number one or number two product in all 18 of the major product areas we went into. Right spot, right time, and a real joy. Uh, and then in the last seven years, I've been CEO uh, of JC2 Ventures, and not a typical venture startup company, but more of a strategic partner with startups and focused on key uh, evolution of startups and innovation around the world with uh, being chairman of the U.S.-India Strategic Partnership Forum and in France, the strategic partner and, and global ambassador for high tech uh, appointed by President Macron. I love it. And uh, so much in there we could talk about as well. Um, yes. I, have, I have a gazillion questions, but uh, let's let's kick it off. So what, what I wanted to do, and, and this was initially, uh, I mean, we spoke three years ago around RSA conference 2019. Yes, and uh, I remember it quite well, how, how great a conversation it was. And uh, we have an opportunity again here to maybe touch on some things that you've seen, I mean, three years is a long time, a lot has changed, but your view of kind of the state of the cybersecurity, I'll call it space. I don't want to call it market necessarily. You can include the market aspects of it, but just where do you see things sitting at the moment? 
Gotcha. I, I think it's something that's moving with tremendous speed, which Sean is no surprise to you on that. I was looking at the two participants that we had together in 2019, and uh, it was Mike Fong on the Secure Phones, which is going very well, and VJ from Pindrop uh, about uh, uh, cybersecurity and voice authentication and what will be, in my opinion, a uh, voice single sign-on. Uh, what's going on in the industry? Uh, it, we go in waves, Sean. About the time that I think we really get it and we realize that cybersecurity has to be in the top three objectives for any company, uh, for any board, for any CEO, people get it there and then things get quiet for a while and we get distracted. Uh, RSA conference this year, uh, it, it was fascinating in that there were several changes I hadn't expected. Uh, I expected uh, enterprise budgets to be up probably 10 to 12% on average. Uh, they're actually going to be flat uh, is what we're seeing so far. Now, my startups are fortunate for whatever reason. We're in different spaces within cybersecurity. So out of the nine that, that I have, uh, we've been very fortunate so far. They're growing between 40 and 300% year over year. So either they're about to get hit by a wave or they've get, they were fortunate enough to get into categories within cybersecurity that are still growing very well and strategic to a company's future. Uh, what surprised me uh, also was that in a number of the interviews at RSA and the keynotes, people said, John, not much has changed versus a year or two ago. And that's kind of was the message that came out. And I was surprised by that. And, and I took a fun contrarian view saying that everything has changed. Um, if you watch the speed of change in cybersecurity, we all understood couple of years ago that 500 billion devices connected to the internet going way beyond that would give tremendous power to this digital world, digital people, digital companies, uh, digital countries. Uh, but with that, also the exposure would go up dramatically. And as you saw complexity in the ransomware attacks and the deep fakes, uh, but you also begin to see AI come onto the scene, I thought this year's session would be much more exciting, and pardon the word explosive, in terms of people saying, well, we got to move faster and uh, everything is changing. It, it, it didn't come across as much as I expected on that. My view is the exact reverse. I think cybersecurity must be on the top agenda. Uh, you you got to spend money on it. You've got to put time on it. You've just got to know when you put money into it, will you get the results back? And if you put money into it, what are the likelihoods that you reduce your risk in a given category. So I think you'll see a series of companies that really talk about cyber to risk assessment and how to use AI to analyze what it is and how do you adjust uh, within it. Uh, and then you'll see a series of companies that begin to look at deep fakes and how do you spot a deep fake uh, uh, within that. Somebody like Pindrop that you talked with before, uh, I think will be able to do that remarkably easy, even if, a, if it's only one or two words, they'll be able to pick it up in terms of the approach. And uh, that gets kind of fascinating. But in hindsight, uh, Sean, that, that should be easy to project. In the human voice, even though you and I don't hear it with our ear and my Southern accent tends to be hard to emulate, uh, we're, we're remarkably simple on, on people being able to do deep fakes and surprises. Uh, what actually occurs is in a single second, our voice has 8,000 different samples. In five seconds, it's 40,000. So you can spot a deep fake remarkably quickly. You can 
spot somebody who pieced together a number of my videos and then said, here's what I said, or I was transferring $25 to someone and somebody puts in their $25,000, you can pick that up and it's, it's not going to be that difficult to use. My view is that the Internet of Things will be interfaced to by voice and that uh, it's very probable that voice will become the single sign-on capability as we move forward, exactly contrary to what you're seeing in the market. So I could not be more excited about the intersection of cybersecurity uh, and risk uh, with uh, AI. And uh, I think that we missed an opportunity this year at RSA to really expand on that and get that message across. And it's interesting because the uh, I know a few of the sessions that the uh, that we had touched on those two things, specifically risk and AI. And I feel I didn't have a chance to go to all the, the keynotes and all the sessions, but I feel that, that those were the two themes I think <laughs> that, that came out of it. So um, at least from my perspective and which I excited me, I'm, I'm all about risk. If you can move, if you can move things left and, and actually define a, an environment that's less exposed from the beginning and easier to manage from the beginning. Uh, you're not wasting a bunch of time and not, not leaving a bunch of, uh, of uh, negative opportunity on the table to be exploited. Yeah. And, and I think AI was another area that, that I think maybe in the vendor hall, I don't know if maybe less in the, in the sessions, I'm not sure, but AI seemed to be top of mind and I, I did a session on AI and SecOps, uh, for yeah. example. Um, so I, I don't know if there's any more to say on that because I, what I what I wanted to unless well, you unless know if you I could some, interject, yeah. John, uh, yeah. I, I think we can take it to the different level. Okay. I think a lot of what I saw going on was people talking about AI in theory and okay. AI that they've thought about in the last six months uh, on it. And how does it tie to cybersecurity? Most of my cybersecurity companies started on AI you know, three years ago, six years ago, and their products are ready to roll, ready to announce M&As happening at a fast pace, et cetera. And I think the ability to catch the movement to the cloud, to make it easy to use, to get the chief security officers and CIOs to say, this isn't silo type approach to markets, it goes across them is huge. And I think each of these really leading edge cybersecurity companies will have a XYZ company, GPT, quickly. Uh, and how do they use it differently? You'll be able to say, for example, and I'll use safe technology as an example, uh, safe securities, uh, what uh, their CEO, Saket, will be able to demonstrate very simply is by showing online applications you can ask using uh, AI uh, tell me about my cyber risk versus other companies. Uh, and based on the data that that technology is gathering, they're going to be able to say on a scale one to five, what do you have? Then they're going to be able to say, where are your exposures? Simple question like that. And they're going to say, here's where your exposures are. And then you're going to say, which areas should I plug based on my priorities? They're going to be able to give you that answer. Then they're going to be able to say, uh, out of the uh, risk profile you see in the data, who are the you know, five or 10 people that are most likely to bring risk to this situation? And they're going to be able to tell you that. And so I did not see the simplicity on quantification of risk, uh, the understanding of how AI pays together and how quick this is going to move. Most of my cybersecurity companies are not only using AI as a key component part, 
they're changing even faster now than just six months ago. And so I think it was a missed opportunity to really get that across, mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, because one one can argue, maybe I don't know if you, you don't mind getting a little deep here, but um, I, don't mind. It, I think over the past three, four or five years, there was a lot of uh, machine learning language uh, in the vendor space and some leaning into the AI early on. And certainly in the, in the most recent couple of years, AI was a topic um, for sure. Yes. And uh, and maybe this is what I'm looking for you to maybe help me understand if I have, sure. the, have this correct or not. And, and for our audience to understand as well. Yeah. The, so I think the chat GPT came out uh, three and four at the being roughly around the beginning of the year. November. Before yeah. RSA, right. Yeah. yeah. So in the last year, beginning of the year uh, before RSA conference and, and my, my expectation or understanding limited as it might be is that the the natural language model and the large language model kind of change the way you mentioned the word simply simplified mm -hmm. um so i i think this is where i want your advice or uh, your your perspective did companies build machine learning enabled ai enabled systems that had rules and capabilities to analyze data and present it in a certain way. And the big change in the last six months has been the way we present it to be more natural, to leverage large amounts of data, to present it in ways that that's easier to absorb from a human. Well, first of all, your, your questions are not naive at all. They're really well thought out. And secondly, what you're asking about is natural trends within technology. The natural trends is we always get too excited then about the time we think it's not going to work, it does cross the chasm. And then depending on how hot the technology is, it goes up exponentially. Uh, I think there have been three big bets in the industry that uh, uh, will absolutely change forever uh, technology and how it's viewed. The first was the Internet, and I was honored to be a part of that. The second was the cloud and supplied a lot of the technology to the cloud players, including with my startups uh, on that. Uh, and then the third will be AI. And I've been saying that for six years and much like the internet, the early applications, most people didn't know how to apply it. They picked the wrong applications. They were one off. They were proof of concept without proof of value and scale and payback. Uh, the area for AI that was the hottest and is absolutely front and center with most technology companies is customer service. And when you see customer service, you can make 10,000, 25,000 agents not only really productive, more productive, and each one performing like your star performer, uh, but you also make when you call into a credit card uh, call center, instead of it being such a painful experience where Sean, tell me your, your in-laws, mothers, maiden names, date of birth. Uh, can you repeat again? When was the last time you were here? Uh, do you have any open issues, et cetera? Uh, and you go through this painful process they can make that very effective. So that was probably the first major application of AI at scale. Uh, it's like the internet at scale. My first major application sounds simple today, entering orders online. Second one's fascinating enough, doing a virtual close of the financials <coughs> and how you could see where you are at any point in time. But you had to translate technology, moving zeros and ones around in the internet to here's the business outcome. Better financial results, dramatically better productivity 
and it transformed the way we live, learn, uh, uh, play, uh, and uh, focus entirely. So uh, you're going to see the same thing with AI. It will go in segments and the same thing with cybersecurity, except the intersection of the two gives you a very positive on protection, but it also gives you a very negative on the complexity of attacks. You think they're complex today. You haven't even scratched the surface of what's going to occur with AI being leveraged. So it's like, like most technologies, the more majority of implications off of them are good, but there will be some that will use this for bad, and we've got to get ahead of the game, especially in cybersecurity, for those that misuse it, whether it's uh, people that do ransomware, whether it's rogue nation states, whether it's bringing down electrical grids, stealing your data, et cetera, and the complexity that can be done uh, with AI on both sides are something I think we're just starting to get our, around, our arms around. Put a different way, if, if a company a year from now uh, at a major investor conference, be it a public company or one that's trying to raise money, if they don't have a very good AI strategy, well thought out with the changes that occurred and a very good cybersecurity strategy, I think their stock are going to get tanked and I think they're going to have trouble raising money. We'll see if that's accurate or not. But Sean, as you know, I have a lot of weaknesses, including I butcher the English language. My wife's a speech therapist. She calls me her only failure. But uh, on getting market transitions right, whether it's the role the Internet uh, plays in changing your life, uh, whether it's cloud, whether voice will be free and the role that played in service provider. There are only two types of companies, those that have been hacked and those that don't know they've been hacked. That was 2015 at World Economic Forum uh, on it and calling ahead of time the COVID implications and the birth of AI as a major change. That's where my strengths are. So if everybody agrees with what I'm sharing with you, I, I'm first, I'm not an interesting guest. And secondly, I'm not taking enough risk, but I want to make them uncomfortable. They push the envelope. And that, that's why I love having you on the show and love chatting with you. And I, I want to talk to you about, um, you, staying, you said staying ahead, um, playing ahead. And I, I want to get into maybe some of the, the innovation. Um, was it Cisco? You said 100 acquisitions? 180. Uh, 180. There we go. You almost doubled that. I, I don't know how many we did at, at Symantec. Um, I, you did a lot there, of them. We did, did a lot of them. Probably not that many. I think it was over, I think it was over 100. Because yeah. I can say it now. We looked at, at maybe buying you many, many years <laughs> ago because I liked your leadership. I liked your focus on security uh, and the balance uh, on it. Uh, but it was just too big of a too big of a, a company for us to acquire. It was a big, big bite. Um, I, in my role, I was fortunate to do, to actually create a lot of stuff from scratch. One of the only teams that, that wasn't acquired and was actually building things from, from yes. zeros and ones on, all the way up and primarily in the SIM, SIM security management space. Um, and the reason I bring that up is there's a lot of startups and there are a lot of big companies making investments in the things that you that you've mentioned. How do you see yes. things playing out um, in the build it here? Uh, if it's not built here, it's not good enough. Um, we need the we need to consolidate. We need we need to figure out how to achieve bigger business outcomes, as you mentioned earlier, uh, by bringing pieces and parts together. How, how does all that? kind of play out over the next couple of years, do you think? Some of it is very similar to each of the prior movements we saw on the internet and cloud. And some of it is dramatically different, especially around speed of change. So 
we rewrote the textbooks at Cisco that innovation wasn't just about doing it yourself internally, which is what almost all companies did at that time in the early 90s. It was about doing it yourself, acquiring and strategically partnering. Very few companies in multiple industries would disagree with that today. So the playbook is similar. Uh, if you're one of the first three or five product areas that you really have leadership in, uh, you have a chance of doing it internally. If you're the number 25 player into this category, thinking you're going to be in the top three to five, which are the only ones that are really relevant long term, uh, you're being unrealistic. Uh, secondly, I'm going to pause you there. What Just create your own category, right? Then you're number one. Well, only if the <laughs> industry experts and customers agree with the category. I haven't changed. I'm customer driven. I do whatever my customers tell me on it. But today, what has changed is that speed of the movement and how quickly you either get leadership or you get left behind. And there are going to be a lot of companies left behind with AI and with cybersecurity implementing AI, established startups, et cetera. So it's one you better disrupt or you're going to get disrupted and you're going to see categories of groups completely disrupted uh, almost no matter what they do in terms of the direction. So doing it yourself is still important to have internal innovation. Historically, the bigger the companies get, the more they struggle with internal innovation. They have the not invented here syndrome, but the penalties on that, if you don't get there quickly, somebody else is going to disrupt you. And we saw that, for example, with uh, OpenAI with Microsoft versus Google, how quickly that changed the whole philosophy about how quickly a established player could be disrupted by just one acquisition of a fascinating startup. And you saw follow on with a different play out of Meta with what they did in terms of uh, exposing a lot of their capabilities uh, open into the marketplace. So the speed of change is different. Acquisitions have also changed. Companies are going to do them earlier. If you had asked me for a startup that was only been around for four years, should they be acquiring or five years? I would say no, uh, because they don't have the management team in place. They haven't got their customers set as well in place. Uh, you want to focus, focus, focus on your key product category ever. And if you do do acquisitions, they should be as close to your current major hubs business-wise so they incorporate into your culture, et cetera. That playbook's gone. Uh, I, I now believe that you move very rapidly in part because of the technology we're using today with video and capabilities that Cisco and Zoom and Google and Microsoft and others have brought. You can do acquisitions remotely because people have gotten used to it, and that's the culture we're in. And you see the small acquisitions acquiring companies acquiring much earlier in their cycle. So I have companies that are only $7 million in run rates, and they're making major acquisitions uh, on it. I mean, major acquisitions. Uh, and uh, I think the probabilities on them being successful are good, but that market changed, both in the speed requirement and otherwise. But as a basic premise, uh, internal innovation, uh, a, a build by a partner, uh, you know, acquiring uh, and partnering is that what innovation is about? That is still very much there, and I think leaders in the industry will do all three. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back in time again a little bit here, okay. and uh, I'm gonna tie this to leadership and operations. Same on on the same concept of uh, accelerated uh, journeys here. Oh, I like this. The, I, the, the I, I know where you're going. Time, I'd forgotten how much time it was to interview with you. I think I know um, where you're going. And I, I, we'll, I, we'll see I if we land in the Go same ahead. place. Uh, license model, subscription models, and the sales and even the marketing and development life cycles had to change 
to meet those those new requirements and there the new model or an approach um one thing to do it from a technology and and pure licensing perspective another thing to actually succeed from a leadership and operational broad operational perspective here so you just described some things where a lot is accelerating on the tech space even and even acquiring uh, tech to achieve the outcomes that you want. Um, do you find that the leadership teams have the ability to accelerate along with the, the market driving them and then to build teams that can do it as well? The answer is usually not and very hard, but in the sequence you raised them, my, my engineering teams always used to tease me. They would say, John, and still do. Uh, you know, in strategy and vision, which is my strengths, that's for amateurs. Operations and execution is for us real professionals. Uh, and it really requires both and your ability to do both. And most CEOs are not good at both. And most startup companies are not good at both either. The companies who evolve into that, who evolve their leadership, re-innovate themselves well over uh, uh, both to today, but also more importantly, over the next decade, be those that lead. And so your ability to do that effectively uh, becomes very, very important. That is a blended version of that. Now, your second part of the question was. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. So I guess the leadership part of it, but then there's a lot of change accelerated in operationally as well. Ah, okay. And, and yeah. I, I use, I look back at, you might have, you switch from a hardware yes. device to a software or an yes. yes. enterprise license to a subscription. Oh, got it. Got it. The and answer you, is. doesn't mean your sales team can automatically sell, right? I agree. Anytime you make fundamental change that is new in the market, it takes a, a while to do it and to really get it through. Uh, the premise to cloud movement, what did that take a decade and still going on uh, in a major way? Uh, the ability to purchase as a service uh, is still going on, and I'll use network as a service. No one's ever done that really well, and we'll see if one of my startups with Pankaj Patel now, N-I-L-E, pardon my southern accent, uh, does that well, but that's one of the key premises. Now, interestingly enough, as they do that, they build in security and ease of use from the very beginning, as opposed to taking video and trying to make it easy to use after the fact or doing networking equipment and then say, what's the security that I put on it? So ease of use, security integrated with the innovation, I think is the future on that. And companies that do it well will have to evolve into that at a speed that is my common, really what's changed most is the, the pace of change. I love it. And I want to, I want to turn to the the team part a bit here. Before we started recording, you you were sharing a few uh, bits of info about uh, your your area, West Virginia, and yes. uh, and the the change in innovation and the change of of uh, doing good things there, not just from a tech perspective, but also in the universities. And so, I want to latch on to that last bit. Maybe you can share some of the some of the stats you shared with me before we started recording about okay. West Virginia, but I want to end with your thoughts on, and I'm going to pause for one second because I, when I was at RSA um, yes. years ago, I could not walk for five minutes and, and not, and I, I would always run into somebody I knew yes. this year. Now, granted, I spent probably 90% of the time in broadcast alley, 
Yes. But I saw very few people that I knew, not less people, but fewer people that I knew, which told me or suggests to me that there's a new guard coming in, a new set of folks coming in that didn't have to learn on the job necessarily. They, they may have come from universities and, and other trade trade programs uh, to enter the field. So sure. what I'm leading to is ultimately kind of the shift and change in education and the shift in not just the last time we talked about the two coasts having the yeah. innovation hubs, but the, yes. the sharing the wealth of, of education and knowledge and innovation around the, okay. around the country. So I counted, I think there are 12 questions there and <laughs> I'll, I'll try to get as many of them as I can uh, on it. First I, on I can resummarize if you like. No, I got it. Right. Uh, the, the first and most important is there's a tug of war between is technology for economic return and for shareholders or is technology good for society? And the majority of Americans do not believe technology is good for society, in part because of what we've done in the technology industry over the last decade, which uh, has been at times disappointing. So there's a, a, a tug of war of is this an and? It's, it's both good economically and it's also very good to society. In the internet era in the 90s and early 2000s, 90% of America felt it was both good for society and good for our country. Today, less than 50% of America thinks technology is good for them and for the country. So you have challenges going on that didn't exist before. If we do our innovation, which is where almost all jobs occur and startups getting bigger, only in a Silicon Valley, in Austin, Texas, a New York, a Atlanta, Georgia, maybe a Miami, uh, you leave behind uh, 45 of the 50 states. You have to make innovation something that goes across uh, the country and across the world. But I come to the world in a second. And Steve Case is doing that uh, with many of his programs, et cetera. I'm doing it specifically in West Virginia. West Virginia, when I grew up, coal miners, mining center of the world, 250,000 coal miners, uh, uh, 6,000 chemical engineers. It was the Silicon Valley of the whole chemical industry, FMC, DuPont, Carbide there. But because we didn't change, we got left behind. West Virginia six years ago was probably number 45 through 50 in almost every economic category. And with a focus about how groups that have never worked together, Democrats, Republicans, the two universities in the state, uh, the ability to do startups and learning from IITs in India and and uh, Station F in France about the uniquenesses of it, uh, outlining a vision to attract people in the state and say, how do you set up your regulations and your taxes to do that effectively? And with dreaming that what people thought could never be done in just five years, uh, we've moved from the very back end of categories. Uh, we are number three in the nation on startups. We grew our startups last year at 90%. That includes pizza places, uh, builders, uh, tech companies, et cetera. The university, which had no technology startups five years ago, had 41 there at West Virginia University as an example. And the nation average is only 27, number three in just five years. Uh, we uh, used to have a real serious problem with uh, unemployment. Today, uh, the unemployment is the lowest it's ever been since records were kept in West Virginia. We have 60,000 job openings we cannot fill. Uh, we had trouble attracting any big projects into the state. And if we were lucky, we might get a billion-dollar project by a multinational to come in once every decade or two. In the last two years, we have six. 
uh, everything from Virgin Hyperloop to Berkshire Hathaway Energy to the LG Electronics out of Korea uh, to Forum Energy, Bill Gates program, et cetera. And we've got six more in the pipeline. And so you see a state that's reinventing itself, including its education, not educating people in silos, but the business school there, they do basically AI, uh, cybersecurity, supply chain, big data, et cetera. And they bring it together with the engineering teams, et cetera, make entrepreneurship a key part of the education. So you can change. And if West Virginia can do it in just five years, other states, in fact, all states can do it. I'm doing a similar thing before in France, uh, where I'm honored to be uh, President Macron's uh, uh, global ambassador for technology. And in India, as head of the U.S.-India Strategic Partnership Forum with Modi on his digitization of his country. And India will be the number one country for the next decade on GDP growth, per capita increase in income, a standard of living increase and inclusiveness across 28 states, which is challenging. But it's because they have a digitization program to do it. So I think it will be inclusive. In fact, I'd argue if it's not inclusive, both on gender and all factors, geography and age, I wouldn't leave behind people. And I think you will have social unrest. So am I a dreamer? I don't think so. In terms of I believe in dreams coming true. I think we need to dream bigger. And I think we got to have a different sense of urgency much faster. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. And thank you for sharing sharing all those uh, bits with us. Um, I want to, yeah, I'm thinking about the dreaming thing. <laughs> yes, because we don't dream, dream enough. We've forgotten. We've had our back for 12 years with free money and great economy. And we thought it was us executing that was the reason things were successful. We didn't dream big enough. Yeah. And uh, we also realized that the key part of dreams, to your point earlier, is about not just strategy and vision, it's about operation and execution and doing it in ways that haven't been done before and catching these new technologies at the right time to do them. So let's, let's pull on that. We're, we're coming up uh, toward the end here. Uh, so okay. I want to I use this opportunity to, to dream with you a bit. Okay. Um, because, I mean, let's, let's face it. Uh, there's always a point during the conversation where we talk, and we did it here today, we talk mm -hmm. about the risks and the negative impact that technology brings. So with a view for the future, and you can, you can go broad tech or hone in on cyber or do both. Okay. Um, what, how, how can we dream differently to achieve what we want? Well, you saw in your prior roles and still see it today that if all you do is apply technology and keep doing what you're already doing, you get very little advantage from it little bit of productivity, a little bit of improvement. You've got to disrupt in a much larger way and not have incremental change, but abrupt change to be able to go after these. And so if you think about how you become a digital company, a digital state, a digital country, and if you think about how you do it in an inclusive fashion, you've got to think about it in a disruptive type of approach and what you're going to do differently that hasn't been done, enabled by new technology. And that's where I got so excited 30 years ago about the internet. I saw it. You know, everybody that was buying our product when it came to Cisco was buying it. It was the techies buying it and universities and, and government research. And I said, no, this is going to change. It's going to change our aspect of our lives. Turned out to be very, very accurate in how it occurred. AI is going to do it again. And while it has many downsides that we got to deal with, 
It will create more jobs by far than it destroys, as every major technology has always done uh, throughout the, the last four decades. Uh, it will, however, disrupt a lot of companies and people. And this is where you've got to have the courage to change. And everybody likes change until it affects them. So I would challenge the group that let's, let's realize this is the world we live in now. My parents were doctors. They taught me to deal with the world the way it is, not the way, Sean, you, we wanted it to be. And then we've got to have the courage to disrupt. And I think it's up for grabs. There is no entitlement to Silicon Valley or to the U.S. in leadership here. But if we execute right, you'll see those countries, those geographies around the world that rethink really about innovation differently and think about disruption differently uh, leading uh, for the next several decades. That would be kind of the way I'd answer that question. Uh, I love it. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, think, dreaming big, we, we communicate differently now, right? We connect with each other differently now. Yes, we, we do. We explore new, new places in space because of technology. Um, and it's not just because we bought a piece of piece of equipment and threw some software on it, right? We we, right. we dream about those big things. Um, maybe one final final point to your thought on this: are are there any dreams too big or too small? I'd had the opportunity to have a number of people in my lives that were major mentors that I learned a lot from, coaches. Some were older than me, some were younger than me. But a couple that really come to mind are Henry Kissinger uh, that taught me an awful lot uh, about diplomacy and how things evolved and very, very good friend. Uh, and another one was Shimon Perez, who passed away several years ago that I knew very well for 17 years. And he really got after me about, John, you dream too small. And I thought I was dreaming huge. And people were telling me my bad dreams were too big. And he said, no. There's no room in this world for small dreams. You've got to think big dreams and you need to dream bigger. And he wrote a book on that. So I actually think we've got to dream bigger. And small dreams for an individual are nice for what they want if you want incremental change. But if you're an individual who really wants to change dramatically, you've got to dream a little bit bigger and you've got to be willing to fail, Sean. Success almost never comes without getting knocked on your back. And Jack Welch, uh, uh, the CEO leader, the generation in front of me, taught me early on. He said, John, you're never going to be a, a good leader or a great leader until you have a near-death experience. And the same thing's true for your company. Uh, you are a product more of your setbacks than you are actually your successes. So as we dream, you've got to be one to do both. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to leave it there for, uh, for folks to think about their dreams and uh, to, for this industry to think about how we can disrupt uh, a safer environment, a safer society uh, to achieve the things we want, and, but in a safe way. Um, so, John, I mean, it, we can't let this happen uh, three years where we don't talk again. <laughs> we, we need I'll to catch up more, more regularly. <laughs> it's fun, and it's been an honor today, and hopefully we challenge your audience. And if the audience agree with everything we said, said, I failed. I want to make them uncomfortable. Yes. I want people to dream bigger, including myself. And each of us have to be comfortable with change. Uh, change is great when it happens to you, Sean, not when it happens to me. That's right. <laughs> but yet we've got to accept that in terms of that's, that is a requirement in the future that's in front of us. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you, John. And uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, getting uncomfortable with us today and uh, for listening to this. Be sure to share it with uh, your friends, family, colleagues, foes, whomever, whomever you want to uh, 
to think and and uh, be uncomfortable with you. <laughs> and uh, of course, stay tuned for more here on Redefining Cybersecurity. Uh, subscribe and uh, catch you on the next one. Thanks, everybody. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.